The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. Good morning. It's good to be here at Redeeming Grace Church. Josh, thanks for your, your kind words. Uh, you may wonder during the introduction how a, how a pastor becomes a chaplain at a jail and why I would be there. And I don't have time to go into that now, but uh, if I ever get a chance to come back, maybe I can share some of that story about how in God's goodness and God's kindness, he, he led me into that kind of ministry. It's good to see Paul and Janet Behrens, who we've known for a very, very long time. Good to have you here. And I brought my bodyguard, Jim Heron, in case any of you don't like the sermon today, and his wonderful wife, Amy. And uh, I, was, I was telling Josh earlier, you know, this, this stage up here, I kind of have a little ADD, and I like to move around a lot. So if I fall off the back as I'm preaching, you also will remember this sermon for a very long time. Might not be for what I said, but it might be for that fact right there. I'm going to start just by reading just a couple of the words that Josh read a minute ago from Psalm 19. And as I do, just think of words that have to do with speech, with God speaking to us. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time to be here today. Thank you for all the, the beautiful little children being dedicated and the parents committing themselves to, to following you in their parenting. And I pray a blessing upon everyone present today that you would speak to us as you love to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with a quick question. How many words, you don't have to answer it loud, you can just think in your mind. How many words do you think you take in in a day? Spoken words, written words. How many words do you hear? How many words do you read? How many do you take in in a given day? I did a little looking on the internet. It seems like there are guesses that the average person takes in between 30,000 words per day and 100,000 words per day. Probably depends a little bit on who your spouse is, <laughs> who your friends are, how many little ones you have at home, where you work, what you do for a living, your, your personal habits, how much do you listen to the radio, watch TV. No matter who we are, I think the reality is there's a lot of words coming at us every day. This psalm that Josh read a minute ago is all about God speaking in, in two different ways to, to us. And the question I've been wrestling with is why? why? Why does God speak? Amongst all the words clamoring for our attention, why does God want to speak into our lives? I think the answer to that question is that God, who created us, he loves us, and he wants to reveal himself to each and every one of us 
personally. He wants us to know the joy of being in relationship to him. He wants us to have our sins forgiven. He wants us to have an eternity with him. And so he wasn't content. When, when I was at the jail recently, we were talking about this psalm, and we were discussing the reality of what, how weird would it be if God if there was a God and he created us and he was sitting up in heaven just kind of waiting for us to figure him out. If he's like, I created you, I made you, you guys take it from here. The reality is God wasn't content for that to happen. God is a revealing God. He wants to reveal himself to us. If I could sum up today's message just in, in one sentence that maybe you could remember, it would be this. God wants to speak to you so that you might know him and delight in him. No matter who you are in this room today, I'm confident of the fact that God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you so that you might know him and delight in him. And I'm gonna just follow the flow of, of the passage today and give two simple points. The first is this, God wants to speak to you through creation. And the second one is God wants to speak through his word. That's exactly how David lays out this psalm. He talks in the first several verses about God speaking through creation, and then he just kind of bluntly shifts gears, and he talks about God speaking through his word. The first half of this psalm, as I mentioned a minute ago, talks about God speaking. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork day to day, pours out speech night to night, reveals knowledge. It's, it's as if God created, when he was thinking of creating the world, it's if he was thinking things like, how can I communicate my glory and my majesty to the people that I'm going to create? And so he created an earth that orbits around the sun. He put, put our earth, the planet that he created human beings to live on, in a solar system. And he put that solar system in a galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And then he made the next closest galaxy 21 quintillion kilometers away. I have no idea how long that is, how far that is, but it's, it's a long way. I think it's uh, 21 with 18 zeros after it. And then to recognize that, that people believe there may be 100 billion galaxies. He did that so that when we look up into the heavens at night, we can say, if there is a God, he must be vast. He must be glorious. He must be majestic. When you see the stars at night, God is speaking to you about his transcendent, transcendent majesty. When you feel the cool, gentle breeze on a hot day, God is speaking to you about his gentle kindness and his care. When you see the miracle of human birth, and we had that represented so beautifully this morning. God is speaking about his wisdom, how he knit that child together in his mother's womb. When you see the leaves change colors in the fall, God is speaking of his creativity and his beauty. When you hear the boom of thunder and see the flash of lightning, you can, you can garner from that fact that God is not a God to be trifled with, but a God to be treated with reverence. When you consider the constancy of gravity, the fact that, that we live on a planet that, that gravity is working at all times in such a way that we don't ever float off into space, which is if there wasn't enough gravity at any moment, everything would just start to lift off the ground. Although if there was too much gravity, we would be crushed to the ground in an instant. 
Yet every single day, the gravity is the same. God is speaking to about us about his faithfulness and his constancy and this, the, the reality that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you look up into the sky and you see the moon at night and you realize that everyone on this planet will see that same exact moon in the same night. And then you start to think about the fact that your great-great-grandfather saw the same moon. And then you realize the fact that when Christopher Columbus was sailing across the ocean, he was looking at the same moon. And then you go back farther in history, and you go through Bible history, and you realize that Paul, when he walked to Thessalonica after being beaten and stoned, and he looked up and he saw the moon, it was the same moon that we're seeing today. And you rewind even farther and realize the fact that Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, before sin even entered the world, when they walked with God in the cool of the day, they looked up into the sky, they saw the very same moon that we do today. Not to mention the fact that Jesus himself, that fateful night in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was down on his knees, sweating drops of blood, considering that he was about to go through immense suffering for the salvation of the world. And he looked up to God and he said, is there not another way? Father, let this cup pass before me. That's the cup of suffering he was about to drink on our behalf. And as that moon shone that night, it's the same moon that we see today. And Jesus himself said, Father, not my will, but your will be done and if you realize when you see that moon that's been constant and steady all that time you realize there was a time when that moon wasn't that god the father son and holy spirit existing in the holy trinity before the creation of the world before the foundation of the world and there will be a time when that moon does not exist, but God will. We see the eternity of God, the self-sufficiency of God, the self-existence of God. When you sum it up from the, from the immense to the microscopic, God is speaking to us through his creation. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening to God speak through creation? I have, a, I have a kind of fresh example of this. About a year or so ago, I finished some physical therapy-like treatment on my back. I've had disc problems, and I went through kind of an extensive um, treatment process trying to get the discs working right again, and I spent a bunch of time and a good chunk of money doing it. So when I was leaving there and I was asking the doctor, what, where, where do I go from here? What do I do? And he said, the best thing you can do for your back from this point forward the rest of your life is to take two walks per day 25 minute walks i was thinking, okay walks you know and, and he said i don't i don't want you to, it's not an exercise walk it's more of a stroll and i was thinking stroll i i don't stroll <laughs> i'm an athlete well <laughs> maybe i used to be an athlete i still feel like i'm an athlete you know run maybe play sports play basketball um walk not so much i've never been much of a walker but I decided I'd invested a lot in this, so I would do it. And so not every single day, but really most days of my life, I get up in the morning and I go outside. It doesn't matter if it's raining, snowing, cold, hot, whatever it is, I take a 25-minute walk, set my timer, take a walk. And usually 
in the evening, I, I do the same thing. And I decided for some reason early on, I'm going to use that time to commune with God. I'm going to resist the temptation to make phone calls. I'm going to resist the temptation to read emails on my phone while I walk. I'm not even so much going to listen to podcasts and sermons and music that I, that I like to listen to. I'm going to attempt to just enjoy creation and enjoy God. And so often I say a simple prayer as I'm starting, maybe groggily in the morning, God, here I am. Just, would you speak to me? I've seen more sunrises and sunsets than ever in my life in this past year. I've started to notice things about creation that I never took the time to notice, like how many different varieties of birds are right in the baseball field across the street from my house. I've, I've seen deer. I've, I've looked, like even, even this week, at the way the ice forms on the branches of the trees and ways down the trees. I've, I've felt the difference of the, the ground, the grass, as I walk in the winter versus the spring versus the summer versus the fall. I've just started to recognize God in it. And what is God wanting to speak to me through creation? So the question I'll, I'll leave you with before we move on to the next point is, is there, is there a habit, is there something you could put into your life to allow God to speak to you through the things that he's made? You can just kind of ponder that and, and think, how you can do that because again, God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you so that you can know him, love him, be loved by him, and, and follow him. We're going to shift gears to the second point, which is God wants to speak through his word. God wants to speak through his word. The reality is, God wasn't satisfied to speak to us only through creation. There's a vagueness, we have to realize, right? There's a vagueness about creation. You can study creation all you want, and you wouldn't necessarily come up with God's plan of salvation. So there are things that we learn about God through creation, but there are things that God said, you know what? I want to speak through words so that I can be really clear about what I want to communicate to you so that we can delight in Him. And so David, when, when he wrote this psalm, he wrote things that Josh read, things like the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. And he goes, goes on and on. And you notice th those are all basically, just for, the, for our point this morning, synonyms of saying the word of God. And notice that he says the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, six different times. He's saying, these are the words of Yahweh. These are the words of God. These are not words about God. These are not words. These are not someone's opinions about God. These are the very words of God. And the good news about that is, if these are the words of God, they have power behind them. God breathed out words to be able to change our lives. I used to collect baseball cards. Anybody here ever collect baseball cards? I'm talking to a younger crowd, maybe. All right, so we've got some baseball card collectors. Good. Well, not, not, not all that recently, I guess, but they lived in my parents' basement for a long time until my parents were downsizing their house, and they called me up and said, Mike, we're, we're downsizing, we're getting rid of some things. Would you like your baseball cards or should we throw them away? In other words, we're tired of these boxes of baseball cards in our basement. 
And I know what my wife was thinking at the time, get rid of them. We don't want them in our house. We're crowded enough. And I was like, no, these are my baseball cards. You don't know. One day they're going to be worth so much money. I'm going to make a, a mint off of those. I'm going to go through them and look at them and have all my childhood memories of how I got all these cards and the bubble gum that came in the card packs and, and the whole deal. I've since come to find out that most baseball cards don't have much value anymore. But, but they're still in the basement. <laughs> and they're not going anywhere either. Don't get any ideas. So I randomly pulled out one of those baseball cards. Actually, I brought a few with me, but here's one I brought from 1979. I was in ninth grade at the time. This is Dave Kingman. Anybody remember Dave Kingman? Jim, I know you do. Dave King Kong Kingman, they called him. He was six foot six. He hit a lot of home runs, but he had a problem. He bounced around from team to team to team. And the, real, the, the reason why is because he couldn't hit for average and he struck out seemingly three out of four times he was up to bat. He did hit a lot of home runs, but he struck out a lot as well. So I'm guessing the value of the Dave Kingman 1979 card is maybe a nickel or a couple pennies. It's not a lot. Whatever it is, it's not a lot. However, however, if you could use your imagination and pretend that this is the T206 Hannes Wagner baseball card circa 1910 that is called the Holy Grail of baseball cards, it would be worth over $3 million today. It was last sold for $2.8 million, at least the last I know, sold for $2.8 million to a private collector. There's only 50 or 60 of those cards in existence. So, see if I can move this the way I want to. If this were the Hannes Wagner baseball card, and I put it right there, and said, would anyone like this? Come on up and get it. How many of you are coming up to get it? Jay's going to be the first one. He's closest, and he's athletic, so he might, he might be the one that grabs it. But I think all of you would line up to get Honest Wagner baseball card. Let me present something else to you today. This is a Bible. This is an ESV Holy Bible that I passed out at the Washington County Correctional Facility at some point in the past. I don't know exactly when, I don't know exactly who I gave it to, but I know it was returned to me recently because even officers who are not necessarily men or women of faith, they have a hard time taking things that look like they should be thrown out and throwing them out when it's a Bible. And so they typically return them to me and say something like, Chaplain, this looks like it's ready for the trash, but I don't feel good throwing out a Bible, so here. You do whatever you do. I don't know if they think I like, have some kind of ceremony that I do over the Bible before we throw it away or, or burn it or the right way. I'm not even sure the right way to dispose of a Bible. Sometimes I just kind of keep them around for a little while. But I got thinking about this Bible. This Bible was, was donated to the jail because we can't even buy our own stuff uh, because of religious rights and things like that. So we, we asked churches and individuals to donate stuff. And so this was donated in a box, uh, bought at bulk. It was probably between two and three dollars per Bible. And it's likely, because this is often how this works, that I took this Bible before it was missing a front cover and a back cover, before several pages had been torn out. Don't know why they were torn out. Honestly, sometimes they're smoked, have to say, but many times they're read. And so I passed out this Bible probably in solitary confinement. 
Uh, the, the new inmates, when they come in, they spend some time in solitary confinement for quarantine purposes now. Some are in there for other reasons. And I, I go through the solitary area, knock on the cell doors, strike up conversations with inmates. And there's a, there's a little door about that big. It's a, they call it a wicket that the tray, the food tray is passed through to the inmates when it's time to eat. And then it's slammed shut. And so when I speak with them and ask them, would you like a Bible? Would you like any other reading material? And they say, yes, that wicket gets opened by the officer and I can slide the Bible in and hand it to them. And sometimes they ask questions like, well, where do I start? Or what should I read? And so often I'm, I'm pointing them to certain verses, the Gospel of John or something like that. And I wish, I wish these came with GPS trackers because I'd love to know where all this went. Because often what, what happens with Bibles like this is somebody will be in there for a while. They'll, they'll read it during their 14 days of quarantine. Maybe they'll, they'll go down to the housing unit and then they'll get discharged and they'll leave it on the cart or hand it to somebody else. And, it, and the Bible kind of makes its way around. Somebody else uses it. Somebody else uses it. And then eventually it comes back to me because it's all ripped up and torn up and we have new ones that we're passing out. But I'd like to know who had this Bible, and I'd like to know what they read, and I'd like to us, us to uh, use our imagination for just a moment and say, let's think about this. If I handed it to a man in solitary confinement, and he was bored and had nothing to do, and I pointed him to the Gospel of John, and he started reading through the Gospel of John, and got to John chapter 3, and he's reading about Nicodemus and Jesus, and then he got to John chapter 3.16, maybe never read it in his life, and read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, 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 whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then read a little farther and read, For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And then he read the next verse that says, Here's the verdict. The light of the world has come, but men loved the darkness. And if he sat there in that dark cell with just a little window to the outside world and read those verses, begin to do what God does, work on his heart, because these are the words of God, and God begins to speak to his heart, and he realizes the fact that God, though all the things that he may have done wrong, that God still loves him and sent his son to die on a cross for his sins, and that he, there's been a time in the past where he loved the darkness, and yet he's starting to see the light for the first time in his life. And realizing that, that God didn't send Jesus to condemn me, but to save me. And he got down on his knees right there in that cell and trusted Christ for salvation. And then I put this Bible next to this Hannes Wagner baseball card and says, you can take your pick. Which one do you want? Or, recently we started, uh, I, I got trained and training some volunteers and we're running what we call, what are called trauma healing Groups, they're Bible-based, Christian-based, trauma healing. The studies show that 95% of females incarcerated and 85% of men incarcerated have experienced usually numerous significant traumas in their life. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, street violence, uh, types of drug addiction, um, parent neglect, um, et, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as part of that, we talk about Isaiah 53, we get, begin to introduce them to the fact 
that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. It says he bore our sorrows. He carried our sorrows. So, so a young lady that, that I can think of has, has a story that I've heard way too many times, but, but growing up, multiple other kids in the family died in a, in a house fire. There's huge trauma there. Abuse and neglect by the father, huge trauma there. Um, when she saw her mother acting happy when she was a 14-year-old girl, she said, Mom, I want to be happy too. And her mom handed her a pill. Wasn't long until they were doing heroin together. Got intertwined into this very strange mother-daughter relationship. And while she had been incarcerated, she learned that her mom died of a drug overdose. And she's raw. She's hurting. And she's done her share of wrong. Most people there have. Can't ignore that fact. However, She's been through a whole lot. And to be able, in a class like that, to be able to, to tell people straight from God's Word and give them the Word and have them go back and read it, the fact that God is not ignoring your pain, that God sent His Son. Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be held on to, uh, Philippians 2, held, to be grasped, but He emptied himself and he made himself nothing and he came and he humbled himself and was born as a man and he walked this life and he was abused and he was mistreated and he was lied about and he was mocked and he was beaten and had friends turn away from him etc 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 so that he could carry our sins yes to the cross but also carry our pain and imagine the power that this book, these words, God's breathed out words can have in the life of a person. And probably most of you in this room have a story just like, not, not just like that, but a story of your own where God spoke to you through his word and did something to change your life. Which is why in verse 10 of Psalm 19, David can write, more to be desired are God's words than gold, even much fine gold. If you could have your choice of this beat-up Bible or the Hannes Wagner $3 million card, the right choice to make would be, give me God's word. Why does David talk like this about God's word? It's because in his word, the very God of the universe presents himself to us. He presents himself to us and says, I love you. He reveals himself to us so that we can know him. He reveals himself to us so that we can delight in him. He reveals himself to us so that we can spend eternity with him. I'm not going to spend hardly any more time, but let me just point out four specific ways that God's Word is powerful in our lives. David mentions them in this scripture, which is why I'm going to mention them, but I'm, I'm not going to really elaborate on them. If you want to, want to read Psalm 19 when you go home, feel free to do that. But let me just list them. Number one, God's Word is designed to revive the soul. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect 
reviving the soul. You know, we go through a lot of ups and downs in our lives, even in our Christian walk. We have our, our highs and our lows. There are days, there are times where we just need to have our soul revived, or as it says in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. You ever need your soul restored? You ever been down and hurting? You're, you're going through the, or just kind of dry and barren? You need to have your soul restored. God wants to revive your soul through his word. Second thing it says is God gives wisdom through his word. It says in verse 7b, the testimony of the Lord is sure. I love how he says it, making wise the simple. In other words, if you feel simple, if you feel like you lack wisdom, sign up. And how many times do we need God's wisdom in our life? We have choices to make. New parents. I remember bringing our first kid home from the hospital and thinking, oh, no. <laughs> what, what do we do now? It was all good at the hospital. The nurses were there. You bring that baby home, and you're like, whoa, he's ours. <laughs> like, thankfully, like many of you, we were in a church community. We had older moms that would would come alongside my wife or older dads that would come alongside me to encourage, to strengthen, to give us different ways to think about it. And, and it, it comes from God's word. God wants to make us wise for living through his word. Thirdly, it says his word rejoices the heart. The, it's in verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right. So not only are they right, which they are, but they rejoice the heart, rejoicing the heart. I find daily circumstances where life is heavy and burdensome, where my heart is not rejoicing. God wants to speak to us through his words so he can rejoice our heart. And then just finished with the last one. I forget how I said it. I don't know if they're up there or not. I think it's something like God keeps us on the right track through his word. Technically, he says he restrains sin. Who can discern, verse 12, who can discern his errors? In other words, we do stuff that we don't even know we're doing that's off track. Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. In other words, God, would you keep me on the right path? Would you reveal my heart? To, will you show me when I'm messing up? And as, as we talked about this in the jail as well, I could see often men and women who feel like, man, I wish I knew this years before because the the heartache this could have uh, solved for me if i could have known god's ways from an early age and yet here i am and i'm facing big consequences and a lot of guilt and a lot of shame but the reality is god can start with us no matter where we are whether we're a little baby up here or whether we're the great great grandfather great-grandfather, the grandfather of that little baby, God may want to start with you today. Just say, let me, let me teach you today. Let me train you today. Let me reveal myself to you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're a God who wants to reveal himself through creation and your word. Thank you also for sending Jesus. And Lord, I pray for everyone here to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.